Welcome to the Messy Middle podcast and radio show presented by Mother and Founder Co. Each month, guests are invited to share their version of the messy middle and the lessons they've learned along the way. Whether you're in the messiness of growing a business, healing from trauma, or navigating the wild world of parenting, this show is a must. We are excited to celebrate the messiness of life and business with you. And now, let's settle in as host Jen Burwell connects us with today's guests. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of The Messy Middle. I am so honored to have two incredible guests today, Jessica Fritz, the owner and architect of J-Core Architecture, and Stephanie Greenfield, associate broker and team lead of the Bray team at Berkshire Hathaway. Welcome, ladies. Hi. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you guys. Um, So you two haven't met other than today, and I'm so excited to bring you together um, because I'm just so curious about both of your careers and your past, and I think you guys will enjoy each other's company. So thank you for being here today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Yeah. thanks for having us. Absolutely. I always like to open the show with just tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you come from? Um, How did you grow up? Those sorts of things. So let's see. Who wants to start? I'll start. Okay, good, Jessica. Um, So I'm from a place called Berkshire County, Massachusetts. Really, really rural, small, small town. Um, I think the population of my town is like 1,600 people. Wow. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. and uh, I, I guess I, from, for as long as I can remember, I wanted to be an architect. I think when you're in high school, you don't really know why. I don't know. Um, but I decided that's what I wanted to do. And um, I ended up going to Boston to, for college, which was a huge change from the small town life going to the big city. It was like really crazy for me, but a really amazing experience. I guess a couple years into college, my mom and my stepdad ended up moving out here to Phoenix, Mm -hmm. Arizona. So I debated coming out here. Mm -hmm. Actually, my last year in school, I had apartment all set up with my friends and I was like, I'm not moving. I'm staying here. And maybe two months before graduation, I was like, no, I got to go. I got to go out to the West Coast. So that was kind of a crazy time. I think my friends were a little frustrated when I bailed on the (laughs) lease. (laughs) But um, I came out here and I've been out here ever since. Uh, I did spend six years in California, Southern California, which was a wonderful experience. Um, But other than that, it's been Phoenix. I I love it here. Yeah. We can't beat the weather right now, right? Yes. so amazing. I just hope it lasts for a couple more months before the, the dog days of summer. But so my father is from Massachusetts. He grew up in Halifax and Whitman. Okay. Is that anywhere close to where you were? I was in the middle of nowhere. No, I think Halifax is definitely closer to Boston. Yeah. It's like, I think a suburb. I always yeah. imagine it south. But south of Boston. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Anything mm-hmm. about 30 minutes from Boston is considered Massachusetts. So and I was two and a half hours. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> so that is far. Like on the west, western yes. part of the state? Okay. Yeah. got it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Stephanie, how about you? I am uh, one of the few, uh, f- few found Phoenix natives, actually. Mm-hmm. So I was bor- born and raised here. And uh, I never really wanted to go anywhere else, actually. 
I went to high school here and uh, I applied for a bunch of colleges, but I ended up going to Arizona State. And it's actually funny. One of the colleges I was considering was going to Harvard. That was like a dream I had from being a little kid. Mm -hmm. And I think being the eldest of four kids, I don't think my parents were ready for that, Mm -hmm. uh, for me to go across the country. So they took me to see Harvard in uh, January in Boston. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, being a, you know, little desert kid, I was like, "Mm, this is not for me. (laughs) They planned that out perfectly. They did. I think they really did. So anyway, I ended up going to Arizona State. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I did uh, marketing and management there. After that, I moved to L.A., So similar to Jessica, I lived there for a couple of years where I did consulting. Mm -hmm. Um, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do when I left college. Mm -hmm. And I applied for all kinds of jobs, like everything you can think of I applied for. And I landed on consulting and I thought, well, this will be cool because Mm -hmm. I'll see, you know, a bunch of different industries from my one job. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that will allow me to learn what I want to do going forward, you know. It was a really amazing two years of some of the most brutal work I've ever done. I mean, 80 hours just like week after week after week. And uh, I was 24, I think, 24 years old, and I ended up getting an ocular migraine. And I just couldn't see anything anymore all of a sudden. Went to the hospital emergency room. They're like, you need to stop looking at a computer for so long straight, you know, without stopping. And I thought in that moment, you know, I'm, I just think that I need to work for myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm killing myself working for somebody else's dreams. And that was, so that was kind of a big wake up call for me. Mm-hmm. And I put the uh, plans in motion at that point to start coming back to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, when I did, I uh, joined my mom's real estate company. She mm-hmm. has been a realtor for 46 years. So, wow. um, I was the kid that always said, no, I'm not doing what my parents do. You know, no, why would I do that? But then, you know, I found myself as soon as I came back to Arizona and it's been amazing ever since. That's awesome. Yeah. So I'm also a native second generation. So my mom's whole side of her family has been here and it's been amazing to watch the growth. Right. In in the state. And I'm with you. So my sister went to pharmacy school um, and her dream was to get out of Arizona. So we were kind of like the opposites. I I had a period in high school. I think it was just like that, I don't know, like emo period of my high school. I hated <laughs> everything, but I was like, this state is so, I don't like it. I want to leave all the things. But um, I went to ASU as well. And, and then I just re-fell in love with the state. But my sister, um, she had dreams of going to Harvard. And we, my parents took her in January oh or, just, or February <laughs> as well. And it was so cold and snowy. Um, and she decided that what she wanted to do was be a pharmacist. So she went, she ended up going to Massachusetts pharmacology, I don't know, something in Massachusetts. So she moved out there and now she lives in New Hampshire with her husband and we can never get her home. She's never coming back. She like just is, you know, fully ingrained. Her husband was from Rhode Island originally and had never left Rhode Island and is, I don't know, 40 plus years. And so there was no way we we're getting him out here. And now she has two kids and my kids. And so we're always trying to figure out like how to see each other. So yeah. my rules are I will come in the summer. Right. And then, and then her <laughs> rules are I'll come in the winter. So we kind of <laughs> kind of switch. But that, that's so funny that you guys have that connection. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then living in California. So Jessica, I'm so curious because I've always wanted to be 
you. (laughs) (laughs) I've always wanted to be the person who knew from a young age what I wanted to be. And you mentioned like you knew you wanted to be an architect in high school, but you didn't really know why. So can you talk about like what were the like underlying motivators? Like what interests you? And then how did you know that like this was the path for you? Well, like I said, in high school, it's so hard to to tell what you want to do because you haven't really done anything, right? I remember thinking, so my dad was a mechanical engineer mm. and I really, I loved math. I loved physics. And I thought really hard about becoming an engineer, but kind of like you said, like, I don't want to have the same job <laughs> as one of my parents. And on the other side of that, I had a really amazing ability to draw ever Mm. since I was really, really young. And my grandfather was an artist. Mm -hmm. And I think it had to be something I inherited from him because Mm -hmm. I I remember being on, on a car ride to my aunt and uncle's really young. I had to have been like eight or nine years old. And I just, I had a coloring book and I had a stack of paper and I just drew the front of this coloring book. And even I was like, oh my God, I can't believe like, it, look, <laughs> it looks really good. Like the, just weird. And I, you know, I never, I never jumped into drawing. Like it wasn't something that I was like, I'm going to be an artist from now on. I actually, I grew up horseback riding and mm. I really just wanted to be a horse trainer mm-hmm. most of growing up. And that's what mm. I wanted to do forever. But my parents very much were like, okay, you, you can't be a horse trainer. Like you need to go to school, get a degree. So I think between the the drawing and the the math background, I was like, well, maybe I'd be good at being an architect. I, I also really loved houses when I was young. So I had a friend whose parents built their own house and I would get my parents, my family, be like, we're taking the bikes, we're driving, we're riding up to see this house. And again, I was maybe like 12 or 13 years old. So pretty young. And whenever my parents moved, they'd go look at houses when we were at school. And I would get so angry because I wanted to go look at the houses. Like, just funny. So, so I think all of those things, I was like, you know, maybe this would be a good path for me. Once I got to college, architecture school is really awesome. It's a ton of work. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, growing up on a farm with horses, I, I was used to hard work. I, I worked mm-hmm. a ton. Uh, I had a job all through high school. So the hard work wasn't a big deal for me. But I, I just remember sitting in these lecture halls and history lectures mm-hmm. of famous buildings and famous architects. And I mean, it was just like awe-inspiring, mm-hmm. you know, to, to be in there. And it just like made you feel or made me feel just excited to be mm-hmm. there. And um, unfortunately, actually working is not is not like that all the time. <laughs> so um, so the, the real world's a little bit different. But definitely when I was in college, I was like, man, this is this is what I want to do. This is amazing. Uh, and I definitely felt like I was on the right path then. I've questioned it for sure actually working in the industry. And I think obviously the same thing you're talking about burnout happens when Mm -hmm. you're working for somebody else and, and people really employers really push you, you you're grinding. Mm -hmm. And I I think the amount that we're expected to work these days is, is, is overwhelming. So that definitely made me question it. I didn't feel like I had a life outside of work. And so starting my company has definitely been, I definitely feel more now like I'm, I'm doing what I'm meant to, to do 
more so than when I was in the the daily grind of it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So I went to school originally for architecture. Well, no, originally for justice studies because I thought I was going to be an FBI serial killer profiler. Ooh. Then I went to like a <laughs> career day and they were like, yeah, there's two people in the country that do that. Everyone else, like you're, if you're an FBI agent, there's a lot of paperwork, more like real life is mm-hmm. like paperwork and not this like who did it crime solving. <laughs> so I switched my major to architecture. I am not a science or math person. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know about this. This is a little tricky for me. And I'm afraid buildings might fall down. Um, But I had this passion for design. So I switched to interior design. And that's what I ended up getting my degree in. So I worked for a high-end residential interior designer for the first five years of my professional career. And it was so incredible. Um, I met so many amazing people. I got to work on amazing, amazing products. We were published or projects. We were published in in magazines. It was so cool. But I was also young in my mid to early 20s working 80 hours a week. My my boss was a um, business owner and she, a small business owner, and she had a work ethic like I have never seen. So she taught me a lot, but it was her model was if I'm working, you're working. So it'd be a Friday night at 1130 at night. I'm not joking. Mm-hmm. And we were expected to be next to her working, pulling designs, doing all this stuff. And as a 20 something or as an any something at 1130 on a Friday night, like, so I quickly decided, you know, this wasn't for me. And it, it t- got to the point, my burnout level got to the point where I was like, I'm just going to, this isn't the right field for me. And so I quit my job and then I went to work for a nonprofit for um, five to six years, which was amazing. But it was like that burnout piece, like I totally made me turn and switch directions from a career that I really enjoy. And I still to this day love design and and express it in, in different ways. But um, it was as a young 20 something, I wish that that's what they would teach in college is like how to manage that. Because we all have these experiences of our first jobs and, you know, we're just working, working, working. So I think they more so need to teach the business owners how to run a healthy business. Oh, my goodness. Isn't that an amazing concept? (laughs) And that was what what I was going to ask is, so you guys both decided to go on to work for yourself. I recently started Mother and Founder. We're a little less than a year old. And I find myself back in the situation of like, oh, I'm working 60 or 70 hours this week or, you know, and I'm like, who am I going to get mad at? Like, it's me. Like, I'm the one who booked over my vacation, which that's a real story. I booked over my vacation because I forgot, didn't put on my calendar, Mm -hmm. scheduled workshops. And then I'm telling my family, hey, guys, we can't go because I have this work thing and it's my fault. So my question for you guys is how do you, as a business owner, find that balance and not kill yourself, but also as you grow, not do the same thing that we experienced as employees. Share all your wisdom. <laughs> I need it all. <laughs> Stephanie, what do I, you have? I think it's so, so interesting to think about that, you know, because I know that uh, as much as I did work and get burned out in the consulting world, now I still work 60, 70, 80 hours a week, mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel to me like it used to feel. You know, mm-hmm. I know that now I'm building something that's my legacy and it's something that gives me a lot of joy. Mm-hmm. And I've stopped kind of believing in such a thing as work-life balance. Mm-hmm. For me, I like my clients are my friends. My clients are my family. And it's all just work and it's all just life, you know? Mm. And so I am a crazy workaholic, admittedly. And so I do have to take time sometimes to step back from that mm-hmm. and remember, you know, okay, go to yoga. Okay, drink some water, you know, <laughs> <laughs> take care of yourself for a minute. Mm-hmm. 
But I think when I gave myself permission to not have to feel like there's such a thing as work and there's such a thing as Mm -hmm. life, it's all just life. The pressure of that got a lot better for me. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I've heard of, you know, there that that whole work-life balance isn't really a, a, a achievable thing for most of us. And it is that work-life integration. Yeah. And that's what I have made my shift as well um, thinking about. And I have a similar experience. Is like I love all of my clients. And they are also some, some of them are very close friends. Some of them I want them to be my good friends. And they will be in enough time. <laughs> yeah. I think for me the tricky part is when I have other people relying on me and when my daughter I feel I have very mixed feelings about this because my daughter's three and so she says to her teachers and to other people is my mom's working my mom's always working my mom's working and she's not saying it in a bad way and part of her when she does her role playing she's pretending like she's on her computer or she's working and part of me is like yeah like I'm showing her that she could be her own boss that she could have her own business but the other part of me is like uh, should I be concerned that my daughter, my whole identity to my daughter is I'm working? <laughs> and so I'm trying to navigate that right now and just figure out that balance because I'm also a workaholic and I like it that way. Like uh, mm-hmm. that is what gets me where I am. So I'm just trying to figure out how to integrate my family into yeah. this. If they would get on board, then we would just be magical. For sure. And and I mean, that's a struggle for, you know, my husband and I because he is yeah. not necessarily a workaholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a job that he can leave at work, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. And so I have to definitely be conscious of that and give him the time, you know, mm-hmm. that's not always just talking about real estate or talking about mm-hmm. houses and the market and all this stuff, you know. Absolutely. I, I feel like I plan my free time just into my day. Like mm-hmm. rather than just planning my my work time, I try to plan the whole day mm-hmm. out so that I do have chunks of time. I've also found that uh, I can't work a straight eight hours and have the same quality of work throughout the whole time right. period. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that I can really be focused for you know, three to four hours. And then I need to take the break. I need to go to the gym. I need to ride my horses. So this is definitely something that I've been thinking about a lot more. Currently, the people that I have working for me are all 1099s, they're consultants. Mm -hmm. But I am in the process of hiring and and growing the company. And it's difficult to think about because I I am working from seven to 11 Mm -hmm. at night because I take the time off during the day to do different things. And I work from home sometimes and it makes that easier. But when you actually have a company of people who are relying on you and who need those set hours, Mm -hmm. thinking about how to manage all of that in is, Mm -hmm. is interesting. Cause I, I definitely feel like I'm happy with the balance right now, but that's because I can stop in the middle of the day to take a break and I can work late at night. So once you know, you have a, a business and a team and an office of people. I'm not quite as sure <laughs> how that, how to, how to translate that and, and make that work. But I think there's a shift now too in how companies handle that nine to five. So I know for me specifically, uh, all of my employees have laptops Mm-hmm. And they have that ability to to work from home as well. And they can kind of come and go as they please. And we have Zoom now. And so if I need to be working at home or they need to be working at home, it's just as easy to jump on a, a video call. Mm-hmm. So I think that whole concept of being in an office nine to five is kind of going out the window. And I think that you can 
think your employees can be a little bit more engaged if you allow them that freedom. Because like, like Stephanie, you were saying, once you are working for yourself and you're making your own hours and you mm-hmm. feel like you can find time to do the other things you want to do, you're much more engaged mm-hmm. because you feel like it's become part of your life. And right. I had, I had said that when I left my last company, cause they were like, you know, why, why are you leaving? We're a family here mm-hmm. and you know, architecture should be your life. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, because I'm forced to be in this nine to five role, it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like my life. It feels like a job. Mm-hmm. And I feel more creative in the evenings. Mm-hmm. Like that creativity doesn't fit into a nine to five. And I don't feel like I'm producing the quality and level of work that I could be if I could be in control of my own schedule. So I don't know. Good for you, though, for <clears throat> for realizing that so early. I mean, I don't know how long exactly you've had your company, but for realizing that and then being able to kind of let your employees see that you live that way, mm-hmm. you know, because it's such a creative business that you have and you need people to be creative and doing their most passionate work when they are working. Right, right, right. I think we're at such an interesting time. Um, in our history, uh, there's a significant shift in the way that we work. A lot of what the things that you were just saying, Jessica, and I think as a business owners, we get to be in the forefront of that and redefining like what is work. And I think that flexibility, and I always go back to if you're hiring the right people and they're aligned to your higher purpose, they know what you're trying to achieve. They understand your values. These are adults you're hiring. They, we mm-hmm. should treat everyone like adults <laughs> um, and to give them the flexibility to have that integration is really powerful. And I think that's how we're going to recruit and retain the highest talent because um, that's what people are looking for. Um, and I think I think small business has a unique edge because we can be more nimble and shift where the larger companies, you know, it's going to take them a long time to get on board. But I'm so curious, Jessica, tell us a little bit about your company, when you started, what you do, all the things. So I focus on residential architecture. So I pretty much do everything from small scale remodels and additions. Most of that is local here in Phoenix. Um, And then I also do new builds, custom homes, and I have a couple of large home builders where we're doing complete new communities for. It was kind of the whole spectrum, which is is interesting. Every every client's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Um, Every project is has to be taken on differently. So it's exciting. It's been about a year and a half that I've been completely full time. I it was a side hustle for a few years Mm -hmm. before that uh, for me to just gain momentum, gain clients, Mm -hmm. uh, gain, gain a little bit of cash flow before before going out on my own. That was probably the hardest part was working full time and Mm -hmm. doing the side hustle. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like it was it was necessary for me. I I didn't see another way to Mm -hmm. I I had all the things, you know, I had the mortgage and um, I've got, you know, I've got dogs, I've got horses. And bills. Bills are a real thing. (laughs) Definitely are. (laughs) Yeah. So it it wasn't one of those things where I could just, you know, hang out in my parents' basement and start from scratch. So um, I think that was probably the saving grace was starting starting as a side hustle and and building my contacts and and my clientele before I went full time. But we had a really great first year. The first year was exciting and Mm -hmm. it kind of felt like been a lot of mental shifts. So Mm -hmm. I I got to a point where 
I, I didn't quite feel like I had enough work coming in to leave my full-time job, but I also didn't, couldn't really take on anymore. And I didn't mm-hmm. feel like any more was going to come to me. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was kind of not in the best mental state because I'd work all day and mm-hmm. then I'd go home at night and, and have to do the side business. And I was so just kind of depressed about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wanted to relax. And, and I was like, this is such a bad mental state to have when we're focusing on my company. Mm-hmm. You know, how are you supposed to expect like really good things to come and more work to come if every time you're working on it, you're like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was really a mental thing for me to decide, okay, you know, I'm just going it, to, it's time. It's time mm-hmm. to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make the jump. And probably a couple weeks after I did, I had one of my biggest clients come in mm-hmm. and it's just kind of carried and it's it's gone that way. And we've had more and more work come in, which is awesome. But, so awesome. Yeah. But I feel like definitely the, the mental part of it was a, a huge, a huge thing. Uh, I, I have a lot of friends who are thinking about starting their own business and kind of nervous, you know, to leave mm-hmm. the full-time job. And it's kind of like, you just have to go all in. Mm-hmm. You have to go all in and, and believe in yourself. Absolutely. There's a saying, um, I never get them right, but it's about like, you have to burn all the boats, right? So you have no mm-hmm. escape options. So you're, you're, you don't have an off ramp. And I hear so many times, so many entrepreneurs, myself included, like when you go all in, things and people start to show up and align for you um, that they wouldn't otherwise because either you don't have the capacity, you're exhausted because you're doing that double duty. But um, yeah, I I know a lot of entrepreneurs who take that route. And as long as you know, like this is a temporary season of life, it's not going to be forever. You can get through it. um, And then the transition is much smoother rather than just jumping off the cliff with with really no (laughs) safety net or parachute. Yeah. So Stephanie, tell us a little bit more about the Bray team. Okay. Um, so, uh, like I was saying, when I came back from LA, my mom had her own small brokerage, real estate brokerage, just her. And, uh, I told her, you know, Hey, I really want to grow a team and build this into a bigger business. And, um, she said, okay, well, if you're going to do that, then we should probably go join a bigger company, Mm -hmm. um, just to have, you know, more expertise behind us, um, a great team of people, all that stuff. So we interviewed all over town and we landed at Berkshire Hathaway. So, um, that's the brokerage that we're at now. And this was about almost five years ago now. Wow that I started the team. Um, So we have the Bray team. At that point, it was just the two of us still, but just, you know, under a bigger company. Mm -hmm. And um, today there are seven of us, seven agents and a full-time assistant transaction manager Mm -hmm. that we have. So we've grown quite a bit in five years. That's amazing. And Mm -hmm. uh, thank you. I like to say I've made like every possible hiring mistake that you could possibly (laughs) make um, (laughs) in those five years. And, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of good, um, that's, that's how you learn, right. Is just mm-hmm. making mistakes. And I was being a little critical of myself just a couple of weeks ago. And a friend said to me, Oh, you mean you didn't learn that from the last time you grew a successful real estate team. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, it kind of like paused me in my steps for a second, mm-hmm. you know, like, Oh, that's a good point. You know, whenever we know better, we do better. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so yeah, we've grown the team uh, quite a bit in the last five years, um, we were the number six team in Arizona uh, in the whole company last year. So that was super wow. exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. That's amazing. That, that was awesome. Cool. Yeah, it was really cool to um, just be able to experience that with my team. 
And I feel like I have such a great team right now, people who are so aligned and so driven and have a lot of the same, like you were saying, Jen, like have a lot of the same values Mm -hmm. and just makes things flow. And when it is running smoothly, it makes all the hard stuff Mm -hmm. (laughs) feel so worth it. Do do you have advice on hiring after Mm -hmm. going through that process? (laughs) Let's take some notes. (laughs) Yeah. Um, One thing that I have implemented is uh, like a mentorship period. So it's almost like a trial period for everybody that I hire on my team. And it's a little bit easier because everybody on my team is an independent contractor. So, you know, they're not necessarily employees, but um, during that, the first six months, you know, I give them a lot of training, everything that they're expected to do. And then at the end of the six months, I just sit back down with all of them and say, hey, you know, is this a good fit for both of us? Like, are you happy here? Am I happy here? Um, and that's made a really big difference. Um, but also realizing at some point that I think when I started, I was trying to say, hey, you should come to my team, you know, hey, how do I do, you know, how do I do this? What do I do as a new realtor? And I was trying to kind of impress them. But now I've kind of shifted of like, I do know how to run a business. And if you want to learn from me, you you know, you could be on my team and here's the expectations. Mm -hmm. So just kind of having a different value shift, I guess, if that makes sense Mm -hmm. for what I'm saying, realizing that I bring something to the table that is valuable for people on my team. I, I love that concept because I, I think about that a lot. You know, and I was putting my website together and uh, building all of the things. And at first I was thinking about it from a client standpoint, like I want to gain clients. I have to have this presence. And then I very quickly realized if I want to hire anybody, I need to have, you know, I need to be impressive. But yeah. I like that that shift you talk about where, no, you, you know how to run the business. You know what you're doing. And um people should want to come and work for you and learn from you. And right, right. Mm-hmm. I almost play with that concept often of thinking about like, uh, it's so much of this, of business, of life is mindset, right? It's what mm-hmm. what we tell ourselves and the stories inside of our ourselves. And so I think about like, if you show up differently in the same situation, you can get two very different results. And so I'm always watching myself because I have that same thing of like, um, especially with new clients or even future employees. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to impress. I have to prove all these things. And my father-in-law, actually, I was having a confidence crisis, I guess you could call it. Aww. And so I called my my um, father-in-law, who is one of my trusted advisors. And, and um, I said, I think I need to go back to school. I think I need more certifications. Like, I just feel like I'm not giving enough for my clients. And he's like, okay. He listened to me rant for like 30 minutes without even saying very much. And then he's like, all right, I want you to do something for me. I want you to write down all the certifications you do have, the degrees you have, the experience you have, the clients you've worked with. He was like, went through this whole list. And he's like, and I'm not kidding. I need an email to me by tomorrow at some time. Like, all right. And so I wrote down this whole list and I was like, wow, like... I do know what I'm doing. And so it's this story that we get in our head. And I decided that instead of pursuing new degrees and things, which I still am a learner, so I'm always getting some sort of certification or training or something. But I decided that I was going to show up as the person that that paper showed that Mm -hmm. I should be. And the difference in that subtle shift was huge. And Mm -hmm. so, Persephone, for you to make that shift and realization of like, no, I do have a lot to offer. And if you want to come along, great. It's just so, it's just always so interesting. And it's, it can happen multiple times in a day, depending on the room you're in, right? 
And so, but I'm always playing with them like, oh, there I am again with my little confidence crisis. Let's see how we can flip the script on it. But it's shocking to me. I do a lot of mindset work with my own clients and the amount of mindset work I have to do with myself. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so much easier to give advice than it is to take advice necessarily. But right. so I have a real estate question for both of you because you both are in, in the real estate type of industries. How do clients typically work with each of you. So what is, I guess what I'm asking is what is the interplay between architect and realtor and how does that work? Or do you guys work together? Like, are there cases where that does work? Maybe custom homes? Does this question make any sense? (laughs) No, no, I think it does. Honestly, I haven't worked with many realtors. I have builder clients that Mm. the realtors work with. Mm. So like I have a, a client that's a custom home builder and they will come to me and say, okay, we have a lot. We're going to build a house on it. The first step, though, is we want to design a house for the lot. And then they work with the realtors and they'll sell that design. They'll sell the lot with the design Okay. before it's actually been constructed. So I think in today's market, you don't even have to build the house because mm-hmm. there's so much need. And, and you can speak to that more, more than sure. I can. But um, so that's been my relationship. I, I haven't, I don't think I've worked... I've maybe gotten some referrals of people who maybe just bought a house and wanted to renovate it, but but that's about it at, at this point. Can I give you my card? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was in my design career, and this was, I don't know, this was like 05, maybe. I, I left right around 08 when everything went crazy in the real estate market. But so we would have clients who would shop for land, like that was a big thing. And then we would hire an architect and then we would hire the builder and we'd work through all of that. But perhaps because of the shortage that we have right now, that's not really the way. Like there's, I don't know if there's land to buy around here. Stephanie, there's still land. Me. Yeah, there's still <laughs> land. And I mean, I've worked with a number of architects over the years because um, a lot of times I get really involved in the process for my buyer clients a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of, and especially now in this market where you can't always get like the exact perfect house that you want, a lot of people are renovating and doing Mm -hmm. those types of projects. And so I like to have architects, you know, on my team or metaphorically speaking Mm -hmm. on my team, not employed by the very team, um, (laughs) that I can just call up and say, hey, can you come with us during the inspection period Mm -hmm. of the of buying the house and give us some ideas on renovating, Um, you know, tell us what that might look like and uh, just give the client a better idea of what they're kind of getting themselves into before they actually close and buy the house. And then worst case, they find out they can't do anything they wanted. So that's Mm -hmm. why, you know, I like to have the architects come in during the process just to, you know, so that the clients feel good about it. That is really important because I have all these ideas for my current house and (laughs) um, I've had a couple like general contractors tell me like, "Mm, that's not going to be worth the investment because of all the like (laughs) electrical and plumbing and all this stuff. And I'm like, Come on, I want a different answer, but everyone keeps telling me the same same story. If you're going to stay in the house forever, then you do whatever makes you happy. Absolutely. I I tell everybody, you can do whatever you want. Yep. It's just (laughs) how much you want to pay for it. I know, it's a problem. (laughs) So, Jessica, what do you see or do you see, like, um, how do I phrase this question? Have you seen situations where people don't bring in an architect and maybe just hire that GC and then you run into problems? Like what are the benefits of bringing in an architect to like a remodel project that you do um, versus just 
kind of winging it or not even a GC, maybe just contractors and managing yourself? You know, I was actually thinking about this today. I was working on new design work for uh, a remodel. I think the biggest issue is that if you're not if you're not used to drawing and, and designing and in floor plan or in section, do actually doing the drawings, I see a lot of contractors and homeowners that will look around the house and say, well, maybe we could do this here or maybe we could do that there or maybe flip this around. There's such a disconnect between what you're imagining in your brain and what you can actually do on paper. Mm-hmm. So I find a lot of times that when you're standing just looking at the house in one dimension, you know, you can't, you're, you're not, you don't have the, the bird's eye view of everything that you don't, you can't see the full potential and mm-hmm. things start to get a little piecemealed. And people definitely do it that way. But I, I have found that even when I'm standing in the house with the homeowner and we're looking at things and they're telling me what I want. And I'm thinking like, well, maybe we could do this or maybe we could do that. And it's much different when I actually sit down and look from a floor plan point of view and Mm -hmm. start designing and going through, there's a process to it. There's Mm -hmm. a, you unlock different secrets and different potential as you're working through that process. And then all of a sudden you have something where you couldn't even imagine that you could do that. But once you've actually sat down and gone through that process, it's like, wow, like there's actually a lot you can do here. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things you didn't realize because it was more difficult to picture in your head. That's got to bring you such joy of like, Matt, like the finished product of like, wow, like here's some things that I would have never, like even yourself would have never thought about, but like, here's some options that that's so satisfying. Like the before and after. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Stephanie, um, you'll correct me if the statistic is wrong, but there's something like some low percentage of real estate agents that stay in the real estate business after two or three years, like the attrition rate is high. Mm -hmm. So how have you stayed as long as you have? How do you avoid that? And how do you help new agents avoid that trap? And also, why is that? (laughs) Another question is, why is that attrition rate so high? Uh, I like to tell anybody who will listen, frankly, that um, the barriers to entry in real estate are very low, especially Mm -hmm. in Arizona. It takes 90 hours and $400 to get your real estate license. And as soon as you do that, you have every ability to lead or, you know, manage someone through the most expensive, potentially, you know, purchase of their entire life, Uh, which is kind of scary if you think about it that way. I think the reason for the attrition rate being what it is, is there's so many shows, you know, HGTV and million, what is it, like million dollar listing and Mm -hmm. all of those that make real estate look like super sexy. All you have to do is like throw on a great dress and walk into these Mm -hmm. fabulous houses and boom, you're a jillionaire. Um, (laughs) It's really not how the business works at all. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of long hours and it's, it's, feast or famine, right? You have to get the business yourself. Um, Nobody's going to just hand you clients that are ready to sign on the dotted line Mm -hmm. the day you start. So, I mean, for me, the reason that I have stayed in it as long as, as I have is because I've loved building the business side of it. I kind of compete with myself for like, okay, this year I'm going to do this many sales, you know, or this year I'm going to do this with the team or grow the team this way. So mm-hmm. for me, it's partially because I'm competitive, um, <laughs> but also they're really, and I feel like this may be a little bit cheesy, but there is really no better feeling than 
giving somebody the keys to their house. Mm -hmm. And I have had this great idea for a TikTok in my head that I really need to do. But it's like so many times, you know, I walk into a house with clients, walk in, walk in, walk in, right? You go to all these different houses with them and you walk in, you know, then you get under contract and you go to the inspection with them and you maybe go meet an architect with them and you're going in and going in and going in every time they're coming out. And, you know, the last time that, well, not the last time, but the last time in the process that I visit the house with them is when I'm giving them the keys Mm -hmm. and I leave them there, you know, Mm -hmm. and it it really (laughs) is just like a very cool moment. I always try to really embrace that moment when I'm like by myself walking to my car at the end because it's like, hey, they're in their house now and you're going, you're moving on. But like for them, that's home. Mm -hmm. And that's something I get so much joy out of. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I mean, yes, it does sound a little bit cheesy, but it's my favorite part of the process every time. So makes it worth it. I mean, it doesn't sound cheesy at all to me. It is, I mean, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it is. The, I mean, our real estate is probably the most expensive thing that most people own in their lifetime. Yep. It's so impactful. It's where people have all their big things happen. Totally. I was just thinking about potentially selling our house, but it's been our house that we've lived in for 10 years. My husband actually we bought it from his parents, actually, um, and he lived there in high school. Oh, wow. But it's where he brought home every single, well, all three, not every single, all three of my babies. <laughs> it's where, like, they've took their first steps. It's all yep. the things. Yeah. And I'm like, we have outgrown this house, and <laughs> there's such a special place. So that joy of giving that to somebody, and, and home ownership is such a powerful investment vehicle wealth building tool that totally you're agree. able to be a part of that is yeah not cheesy at all oh well, mm-hmm. thank you yeah it really is I mean it's a great feeling and uh just the other day I had a colleague who um had to make a difficult call he had to call a tenant and let the tenant know that hey the owners are going to be selling the house so mm-hmm. you know you need to go find a place another a new home you know mm-hmm. and he was just telling me like this is a really hard phone call to make because mm-hmm. if you I mean if you're renting a house that could happen to you like as soon as your lease is up if you're month to month it could happen anytime Mm -hmm. and so the security you know that people have from owning their home and like having that stability knowing Mm -hmm. where they're at and where they can make all those memories is really really neat and powerful absolutely and I'm sure this similar experience of when you get to see your creations come to real life that's got to be so thrilling as well yeah you know I've most of the work that I've done has been for builders. So there's a separation and like there's a removal separation from actually me meeting any of the homeowners. I don't typically Mm -hmm. know who the homeowners are. And really just since I've started my company, I have my first like original design is under construction right now. Mm, So cool. Um, So I'm, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear you talk about it because I think about that and the, my client is actually an investor. So they're, planning on putting the house up for sale. So I don't know if I'll get to meet the homeowners, but I'd love to be able to, you know, I'd, I'd love to be part of that yeah, moment. You should. Yeah. yeah. Can you drive by, like, do you drive by your projects? I oh like yeah. I would be like, look at that. Yeah. They, I was actually talking to the contractor the other day and he was like, you really need to stop by. And I was like, I wander around every Friday afternoon. My <laughs> office is right down the street. <laughs> you need to stop by. I haven't seen you there. Yeah, why aren't you there more? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so both of you, tell me on your most difficult days, what is the thing that helps you move forward? Sometimes I have to just have the breakdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Feelings are for feeling. Embrace the breakdown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it. 
Yeah, yeah. sometimes I have to, I've noticed and I've talked to a couple of um, friends who are, you know, have just left their corporate jobs about this is you don't realize how much time you have to put aside for yourself to take care of yourself mm-hmm. and to uh, do all of the the mental and emotional work. I was surprised. I, I wanted to leave my company and just still go full speed, nine to five, you know, barrel through the work. And I found out very quickly how much um, mental preparation and self mastery, I guess, mm-hmm. that I had to learn. I think for like the first um, couple of months, every morning I had to get up and I had to go walk. And I, I live up north. So it was pretty much walking into the desert mm-hmm. <laughs> for the first 15 minutes just to get my, my head on straight. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think, I think when I get to that point where I'm just, you know, sometimes you're on a, you have multiple meetings in a row and you're just like, can't even handle everything that you're mm-hmm. feeling. Like I totally need to plan out time to be able to step away, to have the feelings move through the, all of the emotions and then sit down and look at my, you know, to-do list, map mm-hmm. everything out, and then like center myself again. Yeah. But I was definitely surprised. It was a big learning moment with starting my own company was how much time I was going to have to put into like just being on the, the right page mentally. Mm-hmm. I think that surprises a lot of entrepreneurs of how much it takes because it's all you, right? You don't mm-hmm. have that safety net. And if you're not your best version of yourself, you can see that impact in your work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that's great advice for for entrepreneurs in general or anyone in general, but entrepreneurs especially because it's like a roller coaster ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My husband told me like week two where I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. He was like, look, it's a roller coaster and you can decide if you want to throw your hands up and scream and enjoy the ride or if you want to white knuckle it the whole way. But either way, mm-hmm. you've decided this ride. So and so I think about that often. And I'm like, oh, I'm definitely white knuckling right now. But I really <laughs> want to be like, woo. But someday I'll get there. That's awesome. Yeah. How about you, Seth? You know, one of the things that I really pride myself on with my business and my clients is trying to take the scariness away from the process and maybe shelter them from the stress of it. Mm. Real estate buying and selling can be very messy and it can be very complicated and things come up. That's crazy. You know, I mean, um, yesterday I was the <laughs> the day before a closing today, I was putting down contact paper in a house because an appraiser wanted it to be there, you know, and, you know, it's full service. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my, yeah. my most glorious <laughs> moment, you know, but it had to get done. And so I just went and did it. And mm-hmm. while I think that that's a good value proposition, I like to think at least for my clients, it's still energy mm-hmm. um, that it takes to, you know, take on that stress and just realize, hey, I'm taking this away from them, but it's going to come on me. Mm -hmm. And just learning my process so, you know, so confidently helps Mm -hmm. me remember like, okay, I'm just going to get through this step because I know what's next. You know, Mm -hmm. even if this is hard, I know the next step. I know the next step in the process. And then, you know, like Jessica said, just even if it's a crazy day and I did a lot of those putting out fires that day at the end, if I didn't get everything I needed to get done, if the fires are out, this isn't brain surgery, mm-hmm. it'll be here tomorrow. You know, mm-hmm. um, just come back to it tomorrow after getting some sleep. Yes. <laughs> sleep is amazing. Yeah. So, and wine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> wine, then sleep. <laughs> um, so you made me think as you were talking, 
when you're buying and selling, in my experience, personal experience of buying and selling real estate, it's a very intimate process, right? Your realtor gets to know you on a very intimate level. You form this relationship. And it seems like it could really, there could be a lot of boundaries crossed, right? So you're one day you're doing contact paper the next day. I don't know, maybe you're babysitting their children and driving them <laughs> soccer practices. Like how do you and where do you draw those lines and how do you balance that of like, here's the boundaries mm-hmm. so that you can like, I totally get like taking some of that stress off because it's a very, can be a very stressful process, but also like preserving yourself and knowing like where the line is. Yeah, for sure. It's such a good question. And a couple of years ago, you know, I was getting really frustrated because I found like this handful of clients that were texting me at 1130 at night. And I was telling my mom this, like, why do they think that this is okay to text mm-hmm. me at night? And she's like, well, are you answering them at 1130 at night? She's like, you gave them permission to text you at 1130 at night. You know, Mm -hmm. when you answered them, you gave them permission to do that. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I have had to be really conscious of and even change the way that I advertise a little bit to be like, look, I will answer my phone from eight o'clock to eight o'clock or eight o'clock to nine o'clock. But after that, I'm a human and I need to rest too, you know. And so I've just had to be really like diligent about kind of setting those boundaries for my own mental health. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But you're right. I mean, it is really an intimate process. Uh, So many of my clients, if they're not my friends before, become my friends. Mm -hmm. You know, I know where they live. Like, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I just I want to stay in touch with them and see what they do there and um, the memories that they make and all of that stuff. Absolutely. I've noticed that too with homeowners. So I don't work with a ton of them. A lot of my clients, again, are builders. So everybody's, you know, in that kind of corporate world. But people that are just homeowners that I'm working with, yeah, I get texts and phone calls on the weekends and in the evening. And I'm like, whoa, (laughs) wait a minute. But yeah, yeah, I, I think I think people are thinking about it after hours a lot of the time too. Yeah. So yeah, I, I've noticed that you kind of have to set up those boundaries. But for you, that's all of your clients. Yeah, so yeah. I mean, people, you know, I expect that people don't yeah. buy a house while they're at work, right? They buy a house after work. So evenings and weekends are a big busy time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just have to, you know, say, okay, like not after 930. Nothing. Nobody's <laughs> accepting your offer after 930. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. And then, so I would imagine like nights and weekends, like you just said, are very busy. So then do you shift, like, do you have more time in the beginning of the week, like to do more self-care stuff or do you just kind of have to flow with? You know, I've, I've tried to get a little better at that. And time blocking is like a very important thing for me to Mm -hmm. do that. And kind of like Jessica said, I time block parts in like the mid morning of the day for myself. Mm -hmm. Once I've answered the emails from the night before, you know, I've gotten all of that paperwork type of stuff handled and most people aren't looking at houses in the middle of the day so Mm -hmm. I do a lot of yoga in like the middle of the day because that's the time that I can go and you know take away from myself but just I try to more like this work-life balance thing that Mm -hmm. I don't exactly have it's not that I get two full days off every weekend right Right. but I get some hours here and there during Mm -hmm. the week that I can go and take care of things I need to. I have a couple of friends who are recent, are new entrepreneurs. They left their corporate jobs. It seems to be a thing happening more and more and more lately. But they are really struggling with the friends and the connections that they had before still have these nine to five jobs. And so they're they're like, well, I have an hour on a Tuesday at 11 and they're struggling to find their community. So how have you both found your community and connections to help support you through growing your business, but also just, you know, to fill your cup personally? 
Honestly, I, I don't feel like I necess- completely have found that. There are a couple of different organizations. Foundress mm-hmm. is one that, that you're part of. Um, Foundress has been great. Arizona Entrepreneurs is another one that I've gone to, but I've, I've noticed that community is kind of its own community. Mm. They all seem to be friends with one another <laughs> um, and a lot younger than me, too. There, mm. It's a lot of young, like 20, 20 year olds, 20 to 28 year olds, which is great. But it's it, it is kind of a process to, mm-hmm. to find find your own niche. I, I have a community of friends that I ride with ride mm. horses with. And that is helpful. And then Foundress, everybody's kind of in that same mm-hmm. mindset of of owning their own companies. But it's it's still a little bit different. I guess that's one thing. They, they say that a lot, that once you become an entrepreneur and you're, you know, running your own business, it can get lonely mm-hmm. at times. And yeah. it, it's it's true. It's a th- I think it's it's something you have to adjust to when you're you're working for a company and you have your group of friends and mm-hmm. your friends you go to lunch with and you're in that community. You definitely give that up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know for, for you, maybe your clients <laughs> become some some of your friends. Sometimes I have clients that, you know, will be talking about, I don't know, the design of their kitchen and entertaining. And mm-hmm. they'll be like, well, I don't know how many friends we have to invite over. And I'm like, I'll come over. <laughs> I'll, I'll be there with a bottle of wine. <laughs> Jen, it so. sounds like we need to uh, bring her into our girls networking group. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's what I was going to say is we, mm-hmm. um, that's how I met Jen was through mm-hmm. this awesome networking group that one of our mutual friends started. And it's just a group of girls who most of them are entrepreneurs and we get together every week and just talk about what's going on, what are you struggling with, how can we help each other, you know, and I think most of us met through a bigger networking group in town, but it's take and it's taken me kind of years to pair through that and find like my true people in that group. Now that I have, I mean, I that group is probably a few hundred women or something, mm-hmm. but this um, new set of friend, like new friend group that I developed is six or seven of us. Mm-hmm. And these girls are like my ride or die. You know, yeah. I, anytime that there's like a business issue or client issue or work issue or mm-hmm. anything, we all just totally have each other's back. And it's kind of like a little group text of cheerleaders, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But that's nice. I think that's what everybody needs in, in running your own business is somebody to just be like, hey, when you're having that confidence crisis, yeah. hey, you've got this. Don't forget you're amazing. Don't forget all of these things that you're really good at, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'll send you the invite. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. It's an amazing group. And, you know, it can be tim- intimidating, um, just much like the foundress. Like the first time I went foundress, I was like, oh, gosh, I'm so scared. I don't know if I belong here, all the things um, similar to this other group. But once you come, it's just, you know, when you find your people and it just works and when people are authentic and you can connect with them on so many different levels. And that has been critical to my transition. And I've been to so many different groups where I'm like, mm, this is cool, just not cool for me. Mm-hmm. And it's so like what we were talking about last month was like that speed dating of, of the groups. But then once you find the groups, then you find the people inside the groups that really mm-hmm. become um, really supportive. And so I think, oh, gosh, we're almost out of time. So I want to ask one important question before we end. What would you say is the most important thing that you've done or learned for your leadership journey? So it could be a book, podcast, quote, anything. Um, is there one thing that stands out? 
that has really helped you in your leadership or business journey? Not to put you on the spot with a really deep question at the end. <laughs> really, yeah. <laughs> or you could just simplify it. What is your favorite book or podcast of all time? <laughs> Go ahead if you if you know. I, I was just going to say, I, I follow Ed Milet a lot for business. Mm. I think he's pretty, pretty great. I usually get a lot of really good advice from him. I, I think that probably the biggest thing I've learned has just been how to kind of be the calm in the storm Mm -hmm. and kind of like you were saying with the process, like taking that away from Mm -hmm. your clients and Mm -hmm. taking the the hard part, absorbing the hard part from your clients Mm -hmm. and learning how to, how to handle that and be able to relate with people because you're in the middle of it and you're crazy and you're working Mm -hmm. and you get a phone call from a client and you have to turn that off and just be like, have a normal conversation and Mm -hmm. be in a good mood and so I think that's probably been the biggest thing. But Ed Milet is business, uh, personal, everything. Hmm. He's he's really awesome. Nice. Cool. Is he um, podcast or podcast. book? Podcast. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, me too. Very cool. I think um, my favorite book, book, favorite book of the moment, I guess, is called Breath. It's about teaching yourself how to breathe. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because in it, it's not related to business at all, but it's like totally a mindset thing that you can, how you can calm your body down and like bring yourself back to a still place just by breathing. Um, so that's kind of my favorite book of the moment, I guess. But, and that book was written by a deep diver, right? Like, a um, I think so. Yeah. 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 They, they were, that's like the beginning of the book that they're mm-hmm. holding their breath for a long time mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. Like they go down in the ocean and like dive to like really deep depths. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I love that when people can take something that they do that no one else can really relate to and mm-hmm. can write a book like that, that can help so many people. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And I would argue breathing is very important in business. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Totally. We, we forget. Totally. We forget to do it quite often. Awesome. All right, ladies. Well, I think we are out of time, but I appreciate so much this conversation and for both of you being here today. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to the Messy Middle Podcast and Radio Show, presented by Mother and Founder Co. We hope you have found a few pieces of wisdom to help you navigate your own messy middle. Be sure to subscribe to the Messy Middle on your favorite podcast platform and follow Jen Burwell and Mother and Founder Co. on Instagram. Remember, beginnings are usually scary and endings can sometimes be sad but it's the middle that counts the most. Until next time, stay curious, kind, and messy.